Well, folks, it's uh, wonderful to uh, get to meet you. Uh, this is my third time in Spokane or Spokane. I don't know which I'm in, but um, it's my third time here. Chris Mueller invited me up to FBC, but it was in the wintertime. Dan Jarms invited me up to FBC, but it was in the wintertime. My dear friend invited me up in the summer. And now I see how much wonderful beauty and just what you have up here, the blessing of God. Uh, this is not at all like Los Angeles. This is not at all like where I was born in Manhattan, in New York City. So um, you are blessed. Remember that. You are blessed. Today we're going to talk about suffering. Pretty hard subject to bring up when it's Lake Sunday, right? Everybody's going to the lake. But this is what, what I'd, I'd like to do is to talk about this. It's a theological uh, concept that we need to have in our mind. It's a, a, a theological concept that we need to have in our heart. You know why? Because I know all of you have suffered at some point. All of you have had a tragedy at some point in your life. All of you, if you haven't had that, will have a tragedy of some kind come into your life. God is such that he does that not because he is trying to spank us. It's not because he's trying to punish us. But he's trying to grow us to be the people of God that he wants us to be. We so readily don't want those things. I know for myself, I don't want to have those things happen to me. But God does that. And he does that for my good. And he does it for his glory. But this morning, what we're going to look at is the subject of suffering. We all have our stories, and we could go around and listen to those stories. We all have our tragedies and situations that we've gone through. I even have some folks that come into my office and say, why is God doing this to me? I go to church. I go to Grace Church. I go to a fellowship. I go to Bill Shannon's fellowship group. I come on Sunday evening, but look what God's doing to me. Some of them even begin to question, is God really doing this? All of those kinds of things start to wander around in our mind. The one uniting message, though, in suffering is this, is that God is sufficient through that suffering. God is sufficient in all of those situations, no matter what that circumstance is. But pastor, you don't know what I'm going through, I've heard. I don't know, but he does. He does, and that's where you have to run back to. You have to run back to him each and every time. As someone who's been involved in counseling for now well over 30 years, there are times when one's heart is strained because of what you have coming before you. The situation that's being uh, brought to you, it, it, it sometimes, you know, you, you can even get to the very breaking point in your, even your walk with the Lord. As counselors and I do that a lot. I, I sometimes deal with some of the most difficult of situations, some of the most distressing of situations, some of the most heart-stopping and, and hurting situations. Let me give you one, and I'm changing the names to make sure that you can't even think that you would know who that possibly is. I did that once, and a lady came up to me. I said, I know who, which lady you're talking about. I said, really, it's not a lady. It's a man. I changed it, okay? Remember that. <clears throat> And it's not because they're transgender. <laughs> it's like this time when Mary came into my office. As I said, name changed. She came in with her friend, Dars. Names changed. Mary is a member of the church. She brought her friend, trying to figure out why God would allow her to birth a baby and the next day take it. Why would that happen? Why would that happen? This uh, Doris was confused, she was conflicted, she was fraught with emotion that, that was just overwhelming emotion. And I can understand that. Her heart was breaking. She was crushed. As the situation was developing, I could see that Doris was probably not going to come back. How did I know that? She was not a church goer. She was not even uh, living in the area, but she happened to be at her friend's and talking with her, and this is why her friend brought her to my office. She was not a believer in Jesus Christ. When I teach the counseling class, we come to this particular verse. You all probably know it, Romans 8, 28. God causes all things to be good to those 
who love him and are called according to his purposes. He, he, it, it's a true verse. God causes all things. Do I want to spit that out at her at this point when she's telling me she lost a baby, healthy baby, it seemingly, after one day of life? But friends, that's God's truth. That is God's truth. I know it, you know it, but was that something that this counselee would want to hear at this point? This counselee doesn't experience the love of God or the, or the nature of God in their life or, or God working in their life or God growing them in their life. They don't know any of that. I believe every word of that holy inspired word. How can that be a blessing to this particular person for someone who is not a believer? How can that be an encouragement when the situation wasn't caused by sin? The situation happened. It was brought about by life. Life does that. Sometimes it's ugly sin that we have to deal with, and, and we do deal with that, but this was not. How can that be a comfort for a fellow human being stressed by the trials of life? Folks, what else could I give this person? What else do I have to be able to speak into the heart and to the mind of this dear lady? I do not have that life experience anywhere near what she's gone through. That experience is still going to be different because my situation is not going to be exactly like hers. Do I say something like James 1-2? Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. Do I tell her, paste a happy face on the situation? I don't think I can. This is a tragedy. My life experience of, of losing a child, even if I had one, would be, mean very little to this particular lady. Her current pain that she's experienced, experiencing would be unable to reach into her heart. So I can't do that. My friends, the only thing that I have is the Word of God. That's the only thing that I can be comfortable about and, and confident in is the Word of God. I have absolutely no idea why God did this, is what I told her. I have absolutely no idea why God did this. But I do know that he did. Now, I'm not throwing God under the bus, folks. I'm putting God where he needs to be. He's on the throne, and he's in charge of everything. Everything that's happening in our life. All of the tragedies and circumstances and situations that we have. Now, somebody would say, but maybe you're saying that God tempts us to sin if we know that he does that. I don't think so, but let me put that to rest real quickly here. If you study at all God's words, you know James 1.13. You don't need to turn there. It says this, let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. See, folks, I don't ever want to apologize for my God. I want him to take first place in everything. I don't need to apologize for him because of that situation, the difficult situation, the painful situation that this lady is going through. No apologies are necessary for God. He is in the good of life. And we're willing to say, rejoice in the Lord always. And, oh, we love what God is doing here. And isn't this wonderful? But you know what? His fingerprints are all over the tragedies of life as well. His fingerprints are there, and sometimes even to use to bring a person to Christ, <clears throat> remember that, sometimes that happens. He will use those tragedies to open a person's eyes to even his being. My friends, you have the word of the living God here. That's the most compassionate book you'll ever read. You know why? God took his son, and sent him to suffer for you. He suffered a death that you can't suffer. He suffered a death that takes away your sins. Why? Because God loves. God loves. This story of God sending his own son to die settles the issue, the most tragic issue that we really have in all of our life. And, and some of you here, and I don't know you, may not have had this dealt with yet. 
your separation from Him. That you don't have a relationship with Him. I mean, a true God-honoring relationship with Him. But He settled that issue. Why? He sent His Son. Listen to this in, in Acts 2. If you want to turn there, you can. Questions always asked of me, Pastor, who killed God's Son? Who killed the Son of God? Well, in Acts chapter 2, verse 22, it says this, Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs which God performed through him in your midst, just as you yourselves know, this man <clears throat> delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to the cross by the hands of a godless man and put him to death. For all of existence, <clears throat> God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit live in harmony. They come up with a plan to create us for whatever reason they wanted to do that, to receive glory, obviously. And this moment of Christ going to the cross, Christ and God now are separated that's a tragedy, folks. That's a tragedy. But he did that. He sent his son for us. How do I know that? Ephesians 2.1. I think you've been going through Ephesians, and I certainly am not going to re-preach this. But, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins. I know how dead I was, folks, before God saved me. I was not mostly dead. I was all the way dead. Completely and somehow he reached into my life and grabbed me. That I do know. I want you to hear this because there is no need to make apologies for God. I want you to understand that. I, oh, oh, God didn't really mean that. No, he, he did. But I want you to also at the same time understand and, and put this together that he is sufficient for all grace and all mercy in your life for whatever you're going through. Over and over, we experience the, the loving kindness of God. He displays it, if you read the Bible, he displays it over and over to the Hebrew people. And they keep doing, they keep messing up, and they keep running away from him. But then he gives us grace, and he does the same thing for us, and we keep going in the other direction sometimes. God loves all the way. He loves us to the end. He loves perfectly. So the question is, are you suffering? Are you in pain? Are you in distress? Have you had a tragedy that you don't understand? Beloved, every human being goes through these things. But human wisdom did not help this lady. It still was the word of the living God. God was involved in this situation. God has given us his word and he has given us his spirit. When I say that, I think immediately of 2 Peter 1.3. And uh, the Apostle Peter says this. He says, seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. When you were saved, you were blessed beyond what the rest of humanity has been blessed You've been blessed beyond even your own comprehension. You've been given wisdom. You've been given a sacred wisdom of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. God makes promises to us. And I know that he certainly keeps all of those promises. He does that over and over and over again. Folks, remember I came from Grace Community Church and we have long introductions. 2 Corinthians 9.8 says this, God is able to make all grace abound to you so that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. Five times the Apostle Paul uses the superlative there. Always, everything, over and over and over again. That's the kind of grace that God has given to us. It's incomprehensible. The counsel from the unbelieving world for this lady would be take care of yourself. Make yourself feel better. 
take this pill, build up your self-esteem, get rid of the pain, whatever that pain is, get rid of it. How can that comfort anyone? How can that take care of her situation? All of that is so elusive, it it, it doesn't really touch the, the matter that's going on in her heart and her mind. When you were saved, though, you were promised eternal life. Eternal life. Not a life without issues, folks. You're going to have issues. Not a life without pain. You're going to have pain. It's not a life without tragedy. We all have that. Even today, I I received a, a message from my sister. She just had cancer surgery. She's not even a believer. Not even a believer. And so I wrote back to her, 1 John 4.18, because I know she's in fear. And I said, my God that I love and I follow casts out fear because it's a perfect love of God. You need to love him. And she understood. I'm saying that with grace and mercy and, and trying to encourage her. That's where she needs to go is to God. Friends, the trials and the afflictions we experience are given as a grace from God, proving our unique relationship with him. He's going to grow us. 1 Peter 1, 6 and 7 says this, In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary. Wait a minute, I said greatly rejoice. You have been distressed with various trials. We're supposed to greatly rejoice when we have trials? Are we really? And it says there, in order that or so that the proof of your faith being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Some of that trial, some of that tragedy, some of that distress is brought as a proof of your faith. I don't know if you think about it this way, but you've got people in your own family who are not believers who are watching you. And they're watching how you handle your problems. They're watching how you handle your tragedies. They're watching how you do those things. Are you relying on him? Our Lord and Savior is about growing us. He doesn't want us to stay where we're at. He wants us to continue to grow. It's not just have your leg in the kingdom, your foot in the kingdom. By the way, I had a friend who years ago had his leg amputated. And he said, Bill, I'm the only Christian who has one foot in heaven. He, he was the only one with one foot in heaven because there is no one else that has a foot in heaven. <laughs> Where to be his instruments. And sometimes he brings us that tragedy to, to show us his glory, to show those around us his glory, that we're still dependent upon him and his glory. Even the suffering you experience is used by God to grow you, to be even more dependent on him, more dependent on his word. That's what we should be doing, is to become more and more dependent on him. First Thessalonians, and I love this in First Thessalonians, uh, Apostle Paul once again says this in verses uh, 6 and 7 of the first chapter. He says, you also became imitators of us and of our Lord, having received the word in much tribulation. Because in those days you received it in tribulation. You didn't up here in Spokane. It's beautiful up here. You ever been to Turkey? Ever been to Iran? Ever been to India even? Yeah, they receive it in much tribulation because they could be beaten. They could be hurt. They received it with much tribulation, with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. I just finished reading the Life of Adoniram Judson. What an incredible life. What an incredible life. He goes off to uh, India and Burma. He's going back and forth between the two of them, but mostly in Burma. 36 years without coming back to the United States. 36 years. He buried a half a dozen children by that time. He probably by that time had buried two wives. It's just absolutely incredible all that he went through. And he did it because he was trying to bring the gospel to others. Those around him in Burma saw him suffer. 
and they were amazed that he would do what he did because he didn't have to. The tribulation of those in Thessalonica became a grace to others, seeing how God accompanied them through the trial. That's what he does. I am going to ask you to turn to 2 Corinthians now. Chapter 1, though. Chapter 1. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1. And look with me, starting in verse 3. And Paul there is saying these things that are incredible, but let me read it. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, and he is, who comforts us in all our affliction so that we will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. What is he saying there? He's saying the afflictions that we have, God is going to use to comfort others in the future. Verse 5, for just as the sufferings of Christ are ours in abundance, so also our comfort is abundant through Christ. But if we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. Or if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which is effective in the patient enduring of the same sufferings which we also suffer. Folks, your sufferings, your pain, your issues, the tragedies are being used by God. Because maybe even people in the own community here at this church are watching you and seeing your dependence upon Him. That's what God wants to do. He's growing us in that. And the last verse there in 7, in our hope, for you is firmly grounded, knowing that as you are sharers of our sufferings, so also you are sharers of our comfort. Distress, pain, affliction, doesn't come without purpose from God. That's what I mean. The fingerprints of God are on that, that he does that for a reason. There's all kinds of things that I know can hurt people. I have some young people that are in my fellowship group that are not married. They're turning 40 or they're 41 and they're wondering, where is that person? They're hurting. They would like to be married. They're hurting. But they're enduring it knowing that's what God wants for them. And they're not succumbing to, you know what, I'm just going to find anybody. I'm just going to marry anybody. God has a purpose. And he will accomplish his good purpose. That's what I could tell that lady. I don't know why God took your baby. I have no clue why God took your baby. But I know my God. I trust my God completely and fully. But he did it for your good. There's a very well-known author... And I'd like to quote from him. His name is John MacArthur, and maybe you've never heard of him before. But um, I happened to read this recently. And he said this, God has given to every believer abundant grace that is utterly sufficient to fulfill our deepest longings, our most intense cravings, our most profound needs, every human requirement. That's the kind of the grace Sufficient grace that he has given to us. Now, would you turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 12? The, finally, getting to the message. I'm not going to give you a background of 2 Corinthians. Uh, um, you know, we're talking about that earlier, and there's a whole lot there that I could talk to you about. But I think this passage here is more, and this message today, is more about suffering. And it doesn't really matter what passage you pull out or, or whatever, but, but this one sort of s- strikes my mind. And, and, and I've um, delved into this a little bit, and I love what Paul wrote here. Why do I love it? Because Paul's writing about himself. And he's not a man who writes about himself very often. But let me read the passage, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7. And he says this, Because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, 
to keep me from exalting myself. Concerning this, I implored the Lord three times that it might leave me. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. I, I think there's an extremely powerful portion of scripture whenever there's a trial God's sufficient grace is there for you folks and I don't know what that trial is and I know you're going through one or you're soon to go through one his grace is sufficient for you whatever that distress whatever that suffering he's there for you what he wants us to do is get our eyes off of ourselves and put them on him was it Psalm 119 verse 71 is good that I have been afflicted that I might know your statutes that's what he wants us to do deep into dig into the word of God and know what he's trying to show us through this today we're going to learn three steps three steps from Paul's life that helps the believer to conclude that God is in the good of life and in the tragedy of but in all of life, for the believer, he's trying to produce good. These three steps are sort of a road to discovery of the sufficient grace of God in all things. The first step, if you take notes, <clears throat> the first step is this. It's the description of the trial. We see that in verse 7. Because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. Paul explains to us as humbly as he possibly can that he received revelations from God. None of you have received revelations from God outside reading the scriptures. Okay, I just want you to know that. But Paul did. He received these revelations from the Lord. He's different in that sense, but he's also an apostle, so that could happen. Could you imagine God speaking to you specifically about situations going on in your life? Folks, he does speak to you specifically. Pick up the Bible and start reading it. I don't know if you... Remember when our vice president, former vice president, was accused of saying that he heard from God. Mike Pence said that once, and they made fun of him. A few news people made fun of him. A few other people made fun of him. Guess what? Mike Pence did hear from God. He reads his Bible every day. That's how he heard from God. Paul didn't have that. He actually had God speak to him. That's where he's unique and, and different, and he wanted to show some humility here. He, he didn't want to overcome what others may think he's bragging. We, we always love to do that. Oh, my goodness. We always want to do that. We talk too much. We tell the story, and it's revolving around us rather than others. All of that kind of thing. Paul here in uh, chapter 12 is telling of his experience. Experience that he had with the Lord. But at the same time, he does not want to boast of his experience. He says in 12.7, to keep me from exalting myself. Paul says it twice to make sure that you heard it, to make sure that the Corinthians would understand it. Make sure you understand this is to keep me from exalting myself. <clears throat> Pride often wants to speak. One of the classes that I teach uh, that uh, um, Oliver was so wonderful to tell you about, discipleship counseling, one of them is pride and humility. Two hours on pride and humility. Because pride is such a huge problem in all of our lives, even after we're saved. 
So Paul makes it quite evident here that he, he makes sure that you understand that he didn't want to exalt himself. The thorn that's here, folks, is not one of the rose thorns that you may find when you're out there hiking. You know, I, I, I caught my hand hitting one, one, one day when we were walking up here. Uh, we've been up here for a week and a half. And uh, I caught my... That's not the thorn that Paul is talking about. He's talking about a stake, something like that that would be driven into him that would keep him from this, this thing here. To be he, just to know that he'd been um, uh, in, afflicted with that. So just so you know that. Um, so he, he makes sure that you understand that he was not exalting himself. That, that you need to keep in your mind. Um, and so uh, he's crying, uh, uh, asking the Lord to take that um, stake out of him. Um, so he was given that thorn in the flesh, which was a, an affliction. And some people have um, contemplated that it was a personal relationship. Others have said it was a physical malady, you know, his eyes or something like that, or his speech or uh, those kinds of things. And that's what uh, was the affliction. Uh, so speculation is all over the place. But I personally believe that Paul was being afflicted by a Christian blogger. It says there, it tells you, it says that it, right there in the text, it says a messenger of Satan to torment me. <laughs> messenger of Satan is a Christian blogger. <laughs> so he has this very distracting, all-encompassing thorn. Enough to make him know he is nothing before God. That's what he's finding out. This affliction came from the Lord. It was given by him as well. Why do I say that it came from the Lord? Turn to Job with me. Job. And if you look at Job chapter 1, and in the first two chapters there, 1 and 2, you see the disasters of Job. All that he had taken away from his children, his all kinds of cattle and other, other things. But look what verses 6 through 12 there. It says, now, this is Job 1, 6 through 12. It says, now there was a day when the sons of, the, of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came along, came among them. Uh, the Lord said to Satan, where do you come from? And Satan answered the Lord and said, from roaming about on the earth and walking around on it. The Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? For there is no one like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, fearing God and turning away from evil. Can you imagine being seen by God as somebody turning away from evil and this happens? Then Satan answered the Lord, does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge about him and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions, have increased in the land but put forth your hand now and touch all that he has, he will surely curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your power, only do not put forth your hand on him. So Satan departed the presence of the Lord. Satan was given a, a, a permission to go after Job. Why would God do that? Why would God do that? Here's a, a fearless man, a, a, a blameless man. Here's a man who follows after him, but God gives Satan that permission. It wasn't because he was a sinner. Well, I've heard some people say that, haven't you? Well, if you've got this affliction, maybe it's because of some sin that you have, some private sin that you have. No, that's not at all what he's saying here. He gave him permission to go to. God did it for a purpose, folks, to give us that anything that Satan does, he needs permission to do it. He can't do it on his own. So keep that in mind. 
So the first step that we've seen here is the description of the trial or the discovery of the trial. Point number two or step number two is Paul's desire to remove the trial. We see that in verse eight. It says, concerning this, I implored the Lord three times that it might leave me. But here's the apostle Paul who would hear regularly from the Lord what the Lord would want him to do. And he's now speaking out and asking the Lord to remove this. And he says it three times. He prays three times. Do you ever pray for something and not get it? The salvation of your teenage son, daughter, your father, your mother, your sister, your brother. Of course you did. You prayed for that. And it didn't happen. It didn't happen. What does he want to leave? What is Paul saying? I implored the Lord three times that it might leave the thorn in the flesh. In other words, the messenger of Satan, whatever that was, that thorn or that stake was given by God to keep Paul from exalting himself. Three times. Three times. Paul asked him to remove this. And he got no answer from God. How could God do this? Have you ever been there? Have you ever been there when, when you cry out to the Lord that you've got this suffering, this pain? Maybe it's a bad marriage. Maybe it's who knows what. And you cry out to the Lord. Take this away. And he doesn't do it. Recently, I preached out of Matthew, the uh, Sermon of the Mount. Would you turn there with me? So, uh, Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 and 8. I, I love when I got to this particular verse because this is Jesus preaching, by the way, in the Sermon on the Mount. It's the best preaching I've ever heard. And he says there in Matthew chapter 7, verse 7, he says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receive, and he who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. Folks, we're being told there by God that is all we need to do. We just need to pray and ask, and he's going to give it. We, we need to knock, and he's going to open. Paul prayed three times, and he didn't get anything. You see, this prayer says it will be given, that you will find it, and it will be opened. Paul prayed that kind of prayer. He wanted the affliction removed, but it remained. What's wrong? Is Paul in sin? Is Paul in rebellion? Is Paul not holy enough? That's what it is. Is Paul not in the will of God? Sometimes folks begin to wonder, why? Why is this going on? I'm a good person. I go to church. I read my Bible. I go to community group, whatever it is. They wonder at times why they are not relieved of the pain. Why me? Folks, I can't tell you how many times I've had why me set in my office with tears coming down. Friends, there's nothing wrong. God has a purpose in that affliction for Paul. God has a purpose in the affliction for that person. God has a purpose in not answering our prayer the way we want it answered. God has a purpose in each believer's life. So the first step is the description of the trial. The second is the desire to remove the trial. There is always a desire to take it away. I don't like pain. I don't like suffering. I don't like those kinds of things, distress and not getting what I don't get. But now the third step is decision to display grace. This is God's decision, folks. He makes that decision. We see that in 2 Corinthians 2, 12, 9. <clears throat> and he has said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Paul is explaining something here, folks, and I, and I hope you have an aha moment as well. He has a great discovery here that sends Paul into exaltation of Christ, of exaltation of God. Paul explains how he is now content 
with the weaknesses of the thorn and what the weaknesses of the, that thorn that is producing. Why? Why did Paul get to that point? Because in Paul's weaknesses, God is displaying his perfect, sufficient grace. His name is being exalted, not Paul's. That's what's happening. That which is the greatest challenge to our abilities is God's opportunity. Grace. He will get you through it. This grace is that which will enable the apostle to endure with gladness the thorn. Thank you for the thorn, even. This grace is that which the Lord will relieve Paul, but not take it away. He relieves Paul by Paul just knowing that his grace is sufficient. What an answer, uh, folks, to the dilemma of suffering. God's grace is sufficient. By the way, that's in the present tense. It means it is adequate, always adequate. His power is being made perfect. Again, it, sa it says that in the perfect tense. The, the verb's placement at the beginning is for emphasis. It's completely adequate. God's grace, no matter what you're going through, is completely adequate. I had a lady come to me once with her husband. And she wanted to know what was wrong with her husband. Can you imagine that? A wife would do that with her husband? And I talked to him for a little while. I knew him fairly well. I couldn't remember the name of his daughter. Couldn't remember the name of a few things. He was going into dementia or Alzheimer or whatever. I'm not a doctor to be able to do that. But he still wanted Christ. That's all he wanted. He wanted to be at church all the time. God's grace was sufficient for that time. Completely adequate. The thorn is still there, Paul continues. He continues to be afflicted, but his grace, God's grace, is sufficient for that. God's merciful kindness is displayed in his power. That is the power of Christ that dwells in Paul. That lady I spoke about earlier began to understand about God. She began to have a bigger picture of God, or even a picture of God, if you want to put it that way, and that God has grace for all situations that can calm that raging heart that was in her. A grace that can heal the greatest of pain and, and a grace that's all sufficient. He can do that. A grace that is even able to save dead sinners. Because I went back and I showed her how God does save dead people. Friends, in Paul's situation, the text does not tell us what that affliction is. I know why. I know why. Because if it did, then you would say when you are being afflicted, oh, that's not what I have. That's not what I have. I, I, I don't have to respond the right way because I'm, I'm not the Apostle Paul and I didn't have that particular affliction. I have something else. You don't understand, Pastor, what I'm going through. And I believe there's a godly purpose in that. It's for us to continue to have that calling upon God and seeing his grace help in those things. You see, if we knew exactly what that, about that affliction, what it was, and have the affliction and, and it not be exactly what we're going through, we would make an excuse for ourselves. Come on, you know that. So would I. But God's grace is sufficient. The word there for grace is chorus. And that's undeserved favor. This is something that only believers can understand. This grace that we are granted at salvation continues in our journey as believers. You see, that grace is still being used in God's sanctification of us. Folks, it's not just about being saved. It's not just about having your foot in heaven. It's about having your life in heaven. All of you. That's truly grace. Where does Jesus Christ get his incredible power to forgive the sins of those he chooses? He does it in the weakness of flesh by going to the cross. 
living in the perfect life, sinning no sin. Yes, being tempted in all things like we are yet without sin. But he goes to the cross. Please hear this. This grace that was given by God is, is not only the endowment of renewable power. It's the only endowment of renewable power. We hear a lot about renewable power these days. Jesus Christ, grace is the only renewable power. It's grace that's sufficient to save. It's a grace that's sufficient to sanctify. And even through difficulties. You see, there's a constant supply of the power that God gives us. It never runs out to call upon that grace. I don't know about you. I wake up in the morning and the first thing I do before I step out of my bed is God Thank you for the grace that I will see today, whatever that is. Paul's excited that the power of God can now be displayed. He says there in verse 9, I will rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. I can't do anything. It's what God does. I was talking to someone before we get started here people marveling at the ministry of John MacArthur. John MacArthur didn't do that. Please don't go back and tell him I said that. But God did that. That was God's mercy and grace upon that particular ministry at that time. Paul's excited about Christ. Listen to this. Because he's now going to dwell with him uh, in some uh, translations it may say pitches his tent with him. Well, that's what I want Jesus Christ to do is pitch his tent with me. Dwell with me. Paul is relieved of the thought, not by the removal, or, or, uh, but by the affirmation of the continuing abiding relationship with Jesus Christ. That's what I want. But you see, if sin begins to crouch in, then you can begin to question, am I really truly his? Jesus said, my grace is sufficient for you. Paul's experience is that the power of Christ may dwell in me, pitching his tent there. Uh, Ephesians, I'm going to go there again. Ephesians chapter 3. Just love this. Paul says here, and and he says in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 13, he says, therefore, I ask you not to lose heart at my tribulations on your behalf. Don't lose heart because you see me going through tribulations. Now, I think of my friends in Ukraine. They're going through some tribulations there. I've been there six, seven times, something like that, to teach. Those men are going through tribulations there. No, don't don't worry about me. This is giving us gospel opportunity, is what I hear from them. For they are your glory. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth that he may dwell in you. When you have that going on, folks, you have a personal that, that intimate relationship with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. <clears throat> when I do counseling, I can never guarantee the removal of temptation. I can never guarantee the removal of affliction. However, I can guarantee the dependence on Christ and dependence on His sufficient grace can carry them through that temptation, can carry them through that affliction. That I can guarantee. Paul understands that the abiding relationship with Jesus Christ is so much more important than relief. Abiding with him is so much more important than relief. Yes, abiding intimate relationship with the Savior is is more significant than removal of the pain and the affliction. He is sufficient for all things. When the afflicted begin to recognize the grace of God in that affliction, Grace establishes a response of faith. Thank you, Lord, for this affliction, this problem, this this distress. 
thank you for giving to this to me because I needed it. Faith in all that God is trying to accomplish through this affliction, that thorn. You can even say in your prayers that thank you for this thorn because it is a gift from you. Friends, for Doris, who, who came to my office, she realized the only answer to her heart-wrenching situation was to put her confidence in Jesus Christ. That's what she realized, that she needed to trust God. Because that is the answer. That's the only answer. God has a purpose in what he does. But Paul didn't stop there. Let's go to verse 10. And he says this, Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses. Are we? With insults. Are we? With distresses. Are we? With persecutions. Are we? With difficulties. Are we? That's what Paul says. For Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul's content to have that thorn, whatever it is, and I'm so glad he didn't describe it to us. Paul is at peace even in the insults and the distresses of life. The stonings that he had. Uh, uh, all of those things that were, they were trying to kill him. His Lord was in his corner. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is in your corner? Do you have that confidence that, that he's yours for those distresses and those times of difficulty? Knowing that God has sent his precious son, beloved son, for your sins is enough. It's absolutely incredible. I, I, I pinch myself, and I, I said this often to Oliver while I'm sitting in my office. Number one, I can't believe he saved me. Number two, I can't believe he called me into ministry. How did he ever do that? But that's what God did. As you grow in your relationship with the Almighty, please have this perspective that God is the answer to all your trials, to all your tribulations for this life, no matter what they are. Don't abandon anything because you're in the midst of a trial. Move toward Him. God, in His Word, will help you endure the situation. So today we see suffering with grace. Yes, it happens. We are going to have suffering. We see the discovery of the trial. We see the desire to remove the trial. And the last is the decision to display grace. God does that in each of our lives. Let me pray for us. Father God, all of us know what trials are. Afflictions, distresses, pain, suffering. Lord, we want to thank you for those things. It's hard sometimes to thank for those things. But we know that that's what you're about doing is, is to call us, Lord, to depend upon you completely and thoroughly because you are the only one to depend upon. And so, Lord, thank you for that. Thank you for this lesson from Paul that he speaks to each of our hearts as we endure these various things. Dear God, thank you for this church. May this church become a, a lighthouse, a beacon for this community, Lord, in teaching the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. In whose name I pray. Amen.